Chapter Fifteen of *The Man Who Ended War*. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. *The Man Who Ended War* by Hollis Godfrey. Chapter Fifteen. I was just dropping off to sleep that night when I heard a sharp rap at my door. Jumping up, I opened it, and Tom rushed in. "'I've just thought of something, Jim. "'The hinges did disappear from that blind. "'We struck the wrong house today. "'But we mustn't give up on that account. "'Suppose you go back to the lodging house in the morning "'and see if you can get any more light.' "'Sure thing,' I answered. "'But now, for heaven's sake, let me go to sleep.' "'Of course,' said Tom, in an aggrieved tone. "'But I thought you'd want to hear about that as soon as I struck it.' "'Sure thing,' I repeated again only now i know about it go to bed and let me do the same my head touched the pillow as i heard the sound of the closing door and then i slept the clock around the next morning i started straight for bloomsbury to my destination of the morning before the lodging-house my stout friend the landlady was out so the maid informed me but i could see the room again if i wished once on the top story i flung open the window and gazed about me the wilderness of brick was broken only by the waving boughs that kept this part of london from being quite the dreary waste that most modern cities are fast becoming or have long since become as i stood there striving to pierce the mystery the maid stood at a shambling attention in the doorway finally i turned i was very much interested in the story your mistress told me of the falling shutter i said slipping a half-crown into her ready fingers i should very much like to know if any part of the old shutter is by any chance in existence the maid's eyes glistened as she glanced surreptitiously at the coin in her hand ricks down into washus she said you're from the coal pits or the mines i said smiling as i heard her dialect a dim flush showed in her sallow cheeks i'm from about there sir hast ever been there there's none like it i've been there i answered smiling again there's some fine men there her eyes lighted once more happen thou might like see the wreck canst if thou wish just what i would like i answered and the maid turned and clattered down the stairs down in the basement leaning against the wall beside some tubs was the wrecked shutter i brought it out to light the hinges were gone not a bit of iron showed upon it i turned to the silent maid queer thing where the hinges went i said questioningly no she replied she told box there yes i answered dot hot hinches michael took them today to shut her full eagerly i bent over the rude wood box and examined the hinges carefully measuring them with my handkerchief and comparing the size with the lighter spots on the shutter which showed where the hinges had been there could be little doubt that what the girl said was true one doubt remained why did not your mistress know what became of the hinges i asked the mistress is rarely fogged and don't know many a thing goes on the maid explained but to a man that knows the coal pits she did not finish but i understood and a second half-crown lighter in purse i walked away all the way home the ludicrousness of our twenty-four-hour comedy of errors kept growing on me and i startled more than one passer-by with a sudden chuckle tom and dorothy sprung up in alarm as i entered and leaned against the wall weak with laughter are you hurt jim cried dorothy anxiously turning towards me no no i gasped 
but the disappearing iron hinge of the blind belongs in the same class as a dentist's laboratory michael put them on to wood box into wash hoosh that's where they disappeared to the fell beauty of the situation suddenly dawned upon tom's mind and he broke into inextinguishable laughter while dorothy her face lighting with glee joined in a moment later in silvery accord the adventure of the two young men and the young woman who hunted the disappearing shudder of bloomsbury ended with our mirth directly after lunch we started off towards chelsea up the embankment past the houses of parliament and the tate gallery by the broad stretches of chelsea hospital where a few old pensioners were sunning themselves on the trim walk our motor-car carried us to the very edges of the quaint old suburb our chauffeur had never heard of the street named in the clipping and it was only after diligent search that we found the little back street a mews where stables and kennels alternated with houses of stablemen and farriers where trig grooms in leggings the chrysalides and pompous coachmen in severe livery the full-grown moths met on equal terms at the end of the little street stood a small public-house for the benefit of the yahoos who congregated in the neighbourhood as we passed it tom stopped the chauffeur i'll run in here he said and see what i can find in ten minutes he was back have you found anything queried dorothy leaning forward tom nodded we'll leave the car here he said laconically come on with me down the little street and through an inner court tom led the way at length he entered a gate whose rounding arch supported a quaint carved horse's head that might well have seen the equipages of a century or more ago lumbering beneath within was a square paved courtyard straight ahead a boarded stable on the right an old farrier's shop whose disused bellows and forge showed through a dusty window on the left a slatternly dwelling a sign on the stable in the shop stated the whole premises were to let inquire on the left of the yard hmm. they told me in the pub that the sign hung over the gateway with a carved horse's head said tom it was called the sign of the three horses i'm going to see if they know anything about it at the house dorothy and i waited by the gateway while tom crossed the yard as he advanced the door opened and a tall rectangular woman came out clothes pin in mouth and a piece of washing in her hands a somewhat one-sided conversation followed i want to see the stable for rent said tom mm, 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 responded the woman from her half-closed mouth i beg your pardon said tom but i don't quite understand another mumble followed as the woman right about faced and walked into the house tom cast a comical look at us that's what comes of not learning the language of the country you're going into he called in a loud aside i can talk german french or italian read latin and make a try at greek but i never studied a word of clothespin as he ended the woman reappeared still grasping the garment for the line but holding out as well two ponderous iron keys tom took them and turned to us simply remarking we'll look the place over loft stalls and cellar of the stable offered us nothing nor did we get more from the windows with their view of littered yards the old farrier's shop looked better tom thrust the ponderous key into the lock and threw back the heavy door right where the sun cast its gleam down the dusty floor lay a little pile of painted boards i sprang forward sliced animals i called to the others as i brought the six or seven old boards forward and began fitting them into place i had them sorted and arranged in a thrice bruised as they were by their fall the three horses heads on the signboard still showed clear though the dimming effect of time had dulled the flaring tints of the rude artist 
not a nail in it or a bit of iron though there were six nail holes to every board this can't be another woodbox hinge case i remarked as we all bent eagerly over the sign a voice broke in on us that sign nearly cost us a pretty penny we straightened up quickly in the doorway stood a stout red-whiskered man i'm the agent for the property he said i heard you were looking it over so i came across we're ready to put it in good shape for any desirable tenant there's few better stable properties in the chelsea mews really said tom i'm not sure whether this will meet my needs or not we've just been looking things over and came upon the sign it must have received a pretty severe blow for every screw is out of it well sir said the agent eagerly that's the very strangest thing i ever saw i saw the sign go down i was just across the yard here in that corner and i happened to be looking out through the archway there was no wind not a breath of air stirring and yet all of a sudden the old sign tumbled a man had gone by not a minute before it might just as well hit him as not or hit me for that matter and the pole that held it and the nails and hinges and everything must have flown out of it when it struck at least i don't see what else could have happened to em they weren't there when i came along and they were good iron too i looked that sign over myself inside of two months to make sure things were all right our voluble friend stopped for breath as tom addressed him i spoke in an aside to dorothy i always supposed years ago that the english were the most silent race on earth but i'm finding out my mistake now it's the upper classes that are silent and the country people your londoner can talk a blue streak once he gets going tom had stepped out into the yard with the agent to give us a further chance to look over the sign and we were just about to make another examination of the nail holes when tom sung out to us come out here will you out we came to see the agent hurrying away and tom with keen hand ready to lock up i really believe we've got something this time he said in a low voice it seems this chap is an understrapper of the agent of the duke of moir who owns all this property about here he tells me that he let three rooms to a man named cragent who occupied them as a workshop or a laboratory off and on for some months and left about two days ago sometimes he'd be gone for months at a time the man's gone off for the keys now he's going to let us through the place he tells me that cragent probably made some changes though he hasn't been inside the place yet tom ended the agent returned with the keys and we followed on just beyond the mews on the adjoining street the agent mounted some stairs beside a little bake shop the red-whiskered man slipped a key in the lock and threw open the door eagerly we pressed in the bare room showed some slight litter left by their former occupant wrapping paper broken bits of insulated wire a shelf which showed behind it heavy disconnected wires which must have led to a motor generator a sink with a high goose neck tap it was a laboratory all right i said to dorothy who nodded and passed by into the third room she crossed directly to the rear window look here jim she called softly tom and the agent were left behind in the large center room i followed dorothy's pointing finger with my eyes as i reached her side there between the buildings showed a narrow open strip which ended in the shadow of a dark arch crowned by a rudely carved horse's head it was the arch where the sign of the three horses had hung if this was the man's laboratory his destructive power could have escaped from this window murmured dorothy gone straight through and attacked that sign without meeting iron anywhere else on the way 
oh jim do you suppose this room corresponded to dr heidenmuller's wooden room the man might have wooden panels to the windows and a double door and taken them down when he left i shook my head if enough of that deadly stuff got away to destroy the iron of the sign it would destroy every nail inside the room and here are iron nails holding the window casing together that's right said dorothy as she inspected the nail heads those do look like iron nails then she broke square off got your knife in your pocket jim silently i produced and opened it now try to pry out that nail she commanded pointing to one on the window casing i obeyed with the full expectation of breaking my knife short off to my utter surprise the blade cut straight through the nail with less resistance than the wood around it offered the nail head was shorn away dorothy and i sprang at the same moment to pick it up and we met in sudden collision only by the extraordinary presence of mind which i showed in clasping dorothy closely in my arms was a complete spill averted a soft tendril of the sweet spring woods swept my cheek the velvet petal of a flower brushed by my lips and my whole body was aflame scarcely the fraction of a second was dorothy in my arms yet it seemed as if eons of life had passed as we scrambled to our feet i could feel my face blazing i looked at dorothy her face was as suffused as mine felt just then tom entered and stood gazing at us with a quizzical smile head-on collision he exclaimed in mock alarm another big accident not a word did dorothy reply to his badinage she walked in an especially stately fashion to the window and stood gazing out while i busied myself energetically in hunting once more for the end of the nail which my knife had shorn off it was lying just by my side and as i picked it up it crumbled why these nail heads are putty i cried in amazement they're simply imitations of nails in a minute tom's knife was in his hand and quite forgetting everything else he was hacking away at a point where another nail head showed putty on top to represent an old nail head and wooden peg doing the business below he ejaculated i don't believe there's a bit of iron in the place tom dug at nail head after nail head and each flew off dorothy it's a wooden room he cried oh really said dorothy in an entirely lifeless monotone and there is the horse's head out of that window you must have been blind not to have seen it before we did see it i said testily but you're so confoundedly impetuous you rush ahead before anybody can tell you anything tom paid but slight attention to my remarks he was up on a window-sill prying with his knife i've got it he exclaimed finally in triumph here's the place where they hung the wooden shutters on with wooden pegs and they painted and puttied them over when they took the panels down he leapt down and started towards the other room i'm going to find out what the agent knows he called back over his shoulder dorothy stood still by the window the late afternoon sun making a golden halo of her somewhat rumpled hair as i watched her there seemed to be something a trace less energetic in her posture she was leaning against the window and gazing fixedly outward she did not notice me at all for ten minutes we remained in a silence broken only when tom returned waving a dirty piece of paper triumphantly the agent didn't know where the chap had gone he cried but i've got a line on him anyway here's the address of a dealer in electrical supplies left in a corner on a scrap of paper we'll drive straight to the city and look him up down the embankment the way we came past the savoy and the temple 
through queen victoria street and by the bank to bishopsgate street we ran dorothy sat beside me on the rear seat of the car tom next to the driver all the way in she gave me hardly a word scarcely replied to tom's occasional chatter i had never seen her tongue so strangely silent her cheek so blushed with the morning crimson nor had i ever seen her eyes more deeply thoughtful more softly beautiful we drew up before the supply store and tom hurried in followed by dorothy and myself he wanted some wire of the same type as that last ordered by mr Crajan. could they look up the order and let him have it certainly no difficulty at all the clerk went back to examine the order book and i followed by his side in the little dingy office at the rear stood a high desk with the tall books above in an ordered row down came c Crajant, page one sixteen said the index as the clerk turned to the page i glanced over his shoulder mr h Crajant. the chelsea address was crossed out with a line written below were the words nine cheapside that was all i wanted i nodded to tom as he gave a hurried order for the wire and we were free for the new address this is the right one said dorothy quietly as we left the shop how do you know asked tom it looks good i'll admit but i don't see how you can tell i don't know how i can tell answered dorothy in low tones but i feel sure this time as i haven't before in ten minutes we were at the corner nearest to the new address had left the car and were walking up the busy street the sign above the door at nine cheapside proclaimed a haberdasher's shop within the second story showed a dealer in notions and the third and fourth held no signs there are leads from the power circuit running into that fourth story said tom as we passed here's the door no business cards for anything above the second come on let's try next door up the stairs by a milliner's shop past the third story to the fourth we climbed a wing ran back with a gallery that opened on one side at the rear was a short flight of steps with a scuttle at the top which opened out onto the roof by good fortune this was unlocked and we climbed through out on the flat roof into the maze of chimneys tom was a little ahead and reached the parapet on the side of number nine while we were still at the scuttle as he turned to the edge he wheeled and beckoned to us expressively we hurried forward below on the fourth story three shuttered windows faced us in the center one the wind had blown half the blind open behind it we gazed on a solid wooden panel which filled the window from top to bottom from side to side behind the glass an exact duplicate of the window panels of heidenmuller's wooden room i whispered tom and dorothy nodded silently End of chapter fifteen